11 keys to planting green success. Now, that's a topic we're going to talk about. It's very timely. Um, we talked about two weeks ago about how to manage cold, wet, and late springs, which a lot of us are dealing with, not only here in the U.S. and Canada, but even over in Europe as well. Uh, so it's a very pertinent topic, and the whole aspect of planting green could be a little bit more prominent simply because uh, farmers haven't even been – it hasn't even been time yet to maybe terminate cover crops in, in a way they used to. So – but there's been some um, – I just couldn't, uh, I guess you'd say, help ignore some of the news that just came out here this weekend. And some of you heard out in uh, Nebraska, and we also have um, – uh, Aaron here on from uh, Nebraska, he can comment about this, but um, it just, it just having these dust storms that there's been numerous ones uh, this year have come up this spring, and I know it's been unseasonably dry. Um, I get that, but uh, when you have these massive pileups, and uh, even there was another fatality yesterday, a person passed away because of this. Um, it happened uh, to people last year in Illinois. Uh, I'm just, uh, I just want to make the point here that this is something that I believe needs to be used. I would say to help farmers understand the value uh, of keeping the soil in place, because I'll guarantee you this: that's their best soil blowing away. So, from a strictly economic standpoint, it doesn't make sense to let this happen, but. Here's a direct quote right out of the newspaper uh, that says the dust blew in from farm fields. And, you know, it can't be ignored. Um, when we have water erosion, you know, you don't see that maybe quite as visibly. Typically don't have these kind of accidents that, that involve the general public. Uh, but it wouldn't take much to either do no tillage or grow a cover crop to totally eliminate this problem. And I think it's directly related to my topic today. So I'm uh, very active on Twitter, and I put a poll out there yesterday. I simply asked, because this is something that is starting to be talked about, will farmers someday be liable for vehicle accidents caused by blowing soil? At 124 votes, and uh, you can see the three choices there. And I guess ironically, if I can use that word, even though it was almost a statistical three-way tie, the the winner was nope. It's just farming. I'm I'm gonna take a strong stand against that um, that mentality. I do not think that we can continue to put up with stuff like this. And uh, I've been in some discussions over Twitter, and someone said, "Well, you're never going to be able to identify the farm field that that came from." And I'm saying, "Well." You can certainly get pretty close, <clears throat> but I've, I've lived in the Chesapeake Bay all my life, and for, for 30 years now, uh, they're not targeting individual farmers. They're targeting the farming community. So this will be a target to the farming community uh, is, is at least how I think uh, it may happen. But And the thing of it is it does not need to happen. Uh, this is a, a, a farm that wasn't – too far now where that accident happened it was flat and you can see there's a little hill there but this was a farmer 
who posted this yesterday saying his fields did not blow. He's no-till and he has cover crops. So it doesn't have to uh, be this way. Um, it just doesn't have to be. So uh, I guess I just want to say that, um, you know, we have other options out there. So I, uh, I'm i going to use this kind of as a sounding board to, to jump off into our topic today that uh, about 11 key ways for, for making uh, planting green is success. Uh, and so there's a lot of uh, ways to do this. And by the way, today's uh, topic is going to be pretty much totally focused on how to do it, not why to do it. If you want to know why, go back and you'll see another webinar I did about a year ago on that. This is more nuts and bolts here. I'm assuming uh, this topic here and today is more or less you, you want to do this. Here's how to do it. So this is how to do it. So. Uh, planting green is essentially defined as planting into a cover crop that still is green. Could be sprayed out a couple days before, or a couple days after. We'll talk about timing later on. So you can have instances where planting green into six inch tall cereal rye is a big deal for someone to do. And, um, I get that if you're used to planting into no cover crop or a burned down cover crop three, four weeks before. Or, or what have you, this could be a big deal to do that. Uh, but what's kind of interesting now, as farmers have gotten more comfortable with it, the it seems like we've gone from six inches to six feet tall in, in planting into a, like a cereal rye cover crop. And um, I just say that unless you are really educated and have seen this done, this is not where you want to start. There is a lot to know in order to make this a success. So I just want to put out there in the outset before I get into my keys uh, of this is do not start with something like this. Uh, I don't recommend it. Uh, you have to work up to this. Uh, and that has a lot to do with your experience, fertility management, and a big part is your planter uh, management and so forth. So Again, there's different ways to handle this. I'm not going to spend a lot of time on on uh, the different ways of planting green, but roll crimping is also involved with these taller cover crops. Again, um, I talk more about this uh, strategy in my other webinar about this, but uh, just a picture there. You can see uh, the pre from the previous slide what some planters are equipped with rollers, or they can be rolled separate. Or if it's less than two feet tall, uh, just spraying it down either before or after planting is another option. So let's just jump right into these uh, keys I've listed here. I want to start out with maybe the most important one, and I've alluded to it, but evaluate your comfort level or, or your experience level. Uh, are you Have you done this before? What have you done? How is your planner set up? Do you know how to uh, handle massive amounts of residue? or tall residue, or what have you. Uh, so so evaluate your comfort level has a lot to do with how much you understand about how this works. Uh, definitely a lot more layers of management to be able to do this, and you need to understand that because I've done this enough now that I'm comfortable with it, but I have had my share of uh, hard knocks, if you will. 
with uh, change wrapping and coming off with uh, row, row cleaners clogging up, with closing wheels clogging up. All that stuff now is avoidable if you have the right equipment or you know what you're doing. Believe me, I've been there, done that. So I want to try to keep you from getting into those frustrating moments by uh, understanding uh, how it works and what you can do. So the second one I'm going to mention, this takes us back to the fall. And it may be obviously too late to, to you know, be react to this uh, on this year if you're going to use some of these things for this year. But the proper seeding rate in the fall, this specifically applies mainly to when you use something like cereal rye because uh, cereal rye planted too thick or in a high fertility situation or the both. They're too thick and high fertility. It will tend to lodge and go down if you leave it grow more than a foot even or two feet. So if you are setting yourself up to plant green, uh, you, you, there, there's no specific seeding rate because it really depends on the fertility in your soil. If you're using manure and things like that, you want to go to a lower seeding rate. You don't want the cover crop to lodge. That makes it a lot more difficult to plant through, to get the seeds into the ground, to be able to cut down through mature stems. Now, if it's less mature and, and the stems are, um, are not not have as much carbon in, C-to-N ratio is lower and all that. Yeah, it's going to be a lot easier. And also planting into legumes, generally speaking, is a lot easier. But when you're thinking about cereal rye, triticale, get the seeding rate right. And if that rate changes as time goes by as well. The longer you go into the fall, the higher you probably want to put up put your rate. And I would say a lot of this comes from trial and error. Um, and then even that you're still subject to uh, what the fall, winter, and spring weather is going to be like. I'll just tell you right now that on my farm here, if you would stop in today, my cover crops look a little thin. Um, I, I will admit that. Uh, but we've had a, a late fall. Uh, we had, a for our conditions, a fairly cold winter and a long, cold, wet spring. So... As of today, they're, they're not super impressive. I, I just want to let you know that. And I got a lot of experience doing this. Um, so, uh, but that's farming. You have to understand it. That's farming. Um, it may not change very much what I'll do next year because we could have the opposite effect, a long fall and a warm winter and an early spring. And, and, you know, if I would mess with my kind of recipe for success, it may be too much. So, the proper seeding rate is is important, uh, especially the more, I should say this, the less experience you have, you should err more on a lower seeding rate. And I just, I just am saying that because uh, it's just going to, you'll eliminate some problems. Once you get familiar, once you get your planter set up, then you can bump up your seeding rates if that's what you want, if that's what you're trying to accomplish. So um want to spend a bit of time on that because it's it's something that's very important. So the next one I want to talk about is termination timing. Obviously, if we're planting green, we're not killing it three weeks before or whatever. Uh, we're either killing it right before you plant or soon after. Sometimes uh, I've seen people manage it this way if they have like Roundup Ready corn 
where they'll leave it emerge if there is moisture and they will try to maximize the growth of their cover crop. And again, you're going to have to kind of make that call on the fly. Uh, it depends if you rolled it down or not. It depends how thick it is. A lot of factors in there, how long you wait. Uh, for corn, uh, uh, and by the way, I'm going to spend most of my time referencing corn, and, and I'm going to come back. Soybeans are really easy. Uh, so just just want to get that out of the way. The, the challenge is planting green with corn. So uh, most of my references here will be with corn. Um, so getting back to what I was saying is if you let the cover crop keep growing and it's like 18 inches high around the, uh, you know, it's two leaf stage and, and the cover crop is either sprung back up from going through planting, you didn't roll it down, you're going to really shade that corn out a little more than it likes and it may get tall and leggy. It just seems like having the cover crop down is much better for corn. Soybeans doesn't matter as much, but just something that I wanted to mention there, if if we're going in with annual ryegrass, I don't have a slide for this, but make sure you know how to kill annual ryegrass if that's your cover crop. And I'll just simply say make spray water first. In other words, get the pH right and the additives that you need. And uh, if you haven't done it much before, stay on the higher side of the rate of glyphosate and try to pick a day that is warmer and that's really going to be helpful in getting a good kill on your ryegrass. So your rye is easier. A quart of uh, glyphosate usually will take it down. But again, I will say refer a little bit to your experience in your area for fine-tuning those kind of rates. Uh, one thing that I want to really strongly emphasize here is that do not spray ahead any more than you can plant before the next rain. This is a common mistake that some people make and it really will bite you. Because if you spray it out and it's dying and you don't get back in or you don't plant it, you have, let's just say you have an inch of rain, there is nothing there to take that moisture out of the ground to dry it up to be able to plant again and it will hold the moisture in, which is a good thing after the crop is planted. So never spray any more than you can get planted before the next rain because you just don't know. Now, again, there's always – we're farmers, we're risk takers. So if they're calling for, you know, a quick shower going through, then the risk is on you. But you need to understand that risk. Again, that is a big mistake that I've heard people say they've sprayed it out. They could not get back in and plant for a month. That was simply a management issue that they needed to address and, and, and so forth. So that's why you like to be able to uh, very, very carefully consider that. Well, I would just like to reference to legumes. And if you do have crimson clover, and I'm also going to mention hairy vetch here, both those legumes are very popular for planting green. They're great. They provide nitrogen. But very you need to understand that glyphosate is relatively weak on both those legumes, uh, the hairy vetch and crimson clover. So um, I have a recipe here in the bottom, a quart and a half of glyphosate and a pint of 2,4-D. That's a pretty hot mix there. I'm not saying you have to go that high. I generally don't. But, you know, I, I, I guess I want to make sure you're covered in this case, <clears throat> not knowing 
<clears throat> your experience and, and all that with use, with killing these cover crops. So I just want to say that the, the biggest mistake that happens is thinking that glyphosate is going to totally knock out hairy vetch and crimson clover. I'm just saying it's weak on it and you got to be able to, uh, kill it. And it's particularly if it is getting dry and that cover crop is still struggling to take moisture out of the soil. Now that leads me up to point number four. And that is simply understand how to manage moisture. So we know that cover crops, planting green, a big reason there's, it's popular is simply to dry the fields out. There, that is, for some people, that is the reason they do it, to help dry the fields out in the spring or their lowest lying fields or their most, their least well-drained fields. So that is a good thing about this concept. But that very same aspect can can burn you if it's starting to get dry and you have a dry spring and there's no rain in sight. At that point, what do you do? I would say that if you're just getting into cover cropping, no-till, soil health techniques, you better control that cover crop early. And it may mean two weeks before planting. You may not get to plant green like you wanted to. Now, for those of us who are further down the road, uh, a decade or two into this, your soil is going to be more resilient. You could probably get away with a little more risk and leaving the cover crop grow a little longer. But I see it's important to distinguish the two. A, uh, a soil that's not as healthy is not going to be as forgiving in a lot of ways, but this is one. So basically my comment here is, Use the cover crop to dry out the field, but if it's dry and there's no rain in sight, even if it's two to three weeks before planting, you better understand the risk of leaving that cover crop grow to the point where it'll dry your soil out that your cash crop won't even germinate. And that, that could be uh, a big problem later on. So again, this is again one of the challenges that come up once in a while where someone gets discouraged to try this because they said that the cover crop took all the moisture out. So, uh, again, this is simply a management tool that you need to use. Now let's shift to uh, our planters. Uh, having the proper planting equipment is is very important. There are some planters that have been set up good for no-till that will do very well in cover crops, uh, maybe up to 18 inches high. Once you get over 18 inches, uh, two feet range and then up into four, six feet, then, then you're playing with the, with the big boys at that point. And you undoubtedly will probably have to do something. So again, what is your goal in planting green? If you're just getting into this, um, I would, as I suggested earlier, I'm not suggesting you start out with six foot tall rye unless that just happened to happen because you couldn't plant. But you could probably use a, a good no-till planter can go in planting green. I'm going to talk about some of the challenges you can expect and several other aspects here. But just understanding again that you need the proper planting equipment. And uh, I would say talk to your neighbors, those who are doing it, just that simple good advice you can get from that. But also going into the, the season with an expectation that something may come up that will surprise you or you weren't thinking. And, and this, this is, again, the difference between 
the mindset of a successful cover cropping farmer and the mindset of someone who's just flat out says, I tried it, it didn't work. Expect problems. I think that's fair enough to say that, and I'm assuming there's enough people on this call that has done this enough that they're probably nodding their heads. Expect problems, uh, because this is a relatively new concept. So uh, even if you're advising people, consulting people, I, I think it's just wise to be honest with them, that to give them the ideas, but also to say, be aware, you may have some issues. So let's get a little bit more specific here now in some of the components of a planter. I'm going to start up front with the row cleaner adjustments. And again, there's, there's, there's many, many different approaches to this. Uh, you can see the background picture right there shows the row cleaner completely out of the ground. And that was the right thing to do. That was uh, two years ago, the last field of corn I planted. You can see the cereal rye was fully matured. I had rolled it down with my roller. It was May the 28th. The soil temperature was warm. There was no need to clean the row. I have a planter that's able to cut down through that, put it in the ground, no need to clean the row. Now, again, if you may not have as a, a good of a planter uh, overall, Cleaning the row may help you get the job done. So that's also going to be a factor of what is the current soil temperature? What's the expected weather over the next 10 days or so? How aggressive do you need to clean that row in order to warm up the soil to get the corn out of the ground? So there's a lot of functions that row cleaners do. In some cases, it just helps to move some of the clumps bunches of, of the uh, cover crop, whatever it may be. Uh, I will tell you this, I'll put a, a big plug in for uh, adjustable row cleaners. And because a lot of times when you're running, you do not want to get off the tractor and spend a half hour adjusting your 24 row corn planter. Uh, uh, and this is just a close up here. I like these Yetter Shark Truth with the precision planting adjustable air adjustable row cleaners that to me is uh non-negotiable when i'm buying a planter uh, they're going to be on because row cleaners are very valuable now this was this picture was taken conditions that were almost too wet to be planting you can see the mud on there uh, but i will tell you uh, my row cleaners are now five years old and they're barely worn so what that tells you is I'm not digging much soil. It happened to be a little bit here in this picture, but I never want to be touching the soil hardly at ever. So again, that's just my style. It's what I do. I try to keep, I try to not clean the row off unless there's a good reason that I need to. So the other thing I want to point out here is non-wrapping row cleaners, like the original spike tooth row cleaners that came out. They'll work up to about a foot tall or 18 inch tall, but after that, if there's no deflectors behind them, they're gonna they're gonna wrap, and you will be frustrated. Uh, so some of these newer uh, style where they're wrapped back, or like this is the shark tooth design here, there's a whole bunch of them out there that will work in fairly high cover crop uh, conditions. Now the treader wheel there that you see, the the aluminum two inch. Uh, uh, thingy there, this metal, that was originally designed so that the row cleaner doesn't gouge into the soil. 
But what we found is that actually helps lay the cover, cover crop a little further away. That also can help from wrapping. So even though I technically never use them for what they're t intended for, they're nice to kind of lay out the cover crop a little further so it doesn't wrap in the back. I didn't throw the picture in of the behind here, but behind each of these row cleaners is indeed a deflector to keep uh, the covers from wrapping. And, and they just never wrap. I've never had a stop for wrapping. So row cleaners have their limits. And I just wasn't sure where to throw this picture in, but this was, again, mature cereal rye. And um, I had rolled down the end rows, and I just pulled the plant. I just kept planting out through just to show you that with mature rye, you're not going to be able to cut across the stems of it. So if you're rolling, uh, make sure you roll uh, the way you're going to plant and how you're going to plant. Or if it's lodged, when you have mature rye, it's all but impossible to be able to cut through. So it's important how you set yourself up to do this, uh, to make it work right. Again, I just uh, talked about row cleaner adjustments and how aggressive you set them. Uh, this is just a picture where they just did just enough to make a nice, uh, I'll, I'll say a nice seed bed here, kicking out maybe a clod here and there or something. Um, and, and this here is in the case uh, where I would say it was a little early. I didn't want full coverage over the row. I wanted to get a nice even seed, bet, seed depth. So that's just uh, what, what the goal was in doing that right there. So that leads us into seeding depth. One of the things, uh, I, I guess I'm going to call this a little trick, is to plant a little deeper than maybe you were used to. What that does is it gives you the ability to uh, cut the residue a lot better. So because when you plant deeper, it, it gives it more uh, of an opportunity to actually cut it rather than stuff it down in. And, yes, you really do need to get off the planter, off the tractor, and check your seeding depth. One of the things, a little again, a little pro tip here is that when you're planting into a solid root mass, with our little seed depth gauges that you have, there sometimes it's actually difficult to find a seed because of the heavy root mass. So I started taking a trowel along in the planter and just shoving it along the one side of the row, and that really is beautiful. You talk about easily finding seeds. You just get down to the seed depth and just kind of trowel right along the row, and you can see your seed spacing and everything just beautiful. Um, so just want to give you that little tip out there. Carry a trowel when you're in heavy sod conditions that you may encounter when planting green. Because you do need to see what's going on. And if you see this picture here, uh, as we call this hairpinning. Now this isn't too bad, but you can see that corn kernel is right next to a piece of residue that was stuffed down in. If it would turn dry, that could be a direct channel down in there to dry that out. That seed may not germinate right away. And I just want to say you can't let this happen. And you can't see it sometimes just from even walking along the road. So that's why digging up the seeds is important to see exactly what good of a job you're doing, how good of a job you're doing. It's very important, this proper seeding depth, because sometimes you can really help this out by going a little deeper. And and I have found out, too, that 
and we think we all know this, that the genetics of corn now are pretty tough and they, they do come up very well. So you may be able to plant a little deeper. I, I've, I found out I tend to get more even stands. Now, if you're pushing it early and the temperature's cold and it's going to be a little chilly, well, then, you know, you might not want to go a lot deeper. But again, it's a little trick later on, especially if you're in conditions that, that would be, um, you know, would work for it. Like, like a lot, you know, warm weather's on the way and you're planting. Put your seed in a little deeper. You'll get a better stand out of it. I also wanted to uh, stress what I think is the importance of using a seed firmer. Now, in this case, you got to look close there uh, to actually see it. This is taken from right in front of the press wheels looking up to the double disc openers. That's a seed firmer coming down there in the middle, uh, obviously planting green. But again, this uh, this to me is pretty much standard in all planters, but I, I did want to add this. If you're planting green, I feel like it's a must-have. You need to have a seed firmer. Make sure that seed's pushed to the bottom of the trench because if conditions are not quite ideal or your planter may not be quite ideal, uh, this is this is something that I feel is very important to, to be able to do that. Okay, let's go to the back of the planter, closing wheels. There are all kinds of closing wheels in the market um, now, and a lot of mainline companies are actually supplying spoke type or spike or uh, some sort of a closing wheel that isn't round. And part of the reason these can be effective is because they push down through the root mass. It's the root mass that sometimes makes it difficult to close. Now, I'm going to show you in a second here that part of it is just simply the old conventional tillage design that is still still in the DNA of some of these planters. Uh, but, uh, but that being said, you have to get that seed slot closed. You got to do whatever you got to do to get that seed slot closed, and it's difficult sometimes. Uh, this is just kind of a close-up picture here. What you want, you want it closed tight. Uh, you don't get that seed slot closed. It stays dry. Slugs can get in there. It's just, uh, it, you, you gotta do what you gotta do, uh, to, to get that done. Now, part of the problem that can come along with some of these spading or spoke type wheels is they clog up because they can wrap in long stemmed cover crops. So this is again another challenge that you have to be aware of and be prepared for, especially if you're going to go into covers more than two feet tall. Now there's solutions out there for it. This is Yetter's version of their deflector. There's many of them out there. I like this one because it's it's the biggest one I know of. It takes a little bit of tenacity to get it adjusted just close enough against that closing wheel so that it doesn't stop it. You can see there's a little wear there. That's exactly what you want because if you leave an eighth of an inch, it could start wrapping. Uh, believe me, I know, been there, done that. But look at the set, the, 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 the gauge setting there of the depth. It's in the first notch. When you have a good spading closing wheel, and in this case, there is actually wedges in there. There's some companies provide some wedges that'll adjust that wheel a little bit. You don't need much down pressure when you have the right design there for the closing wheel, when you have the right angle. 
And uh, the, the U.S. has been a little slow at recognizing this. And I showed this when I was when I told you about my trip to France on. And I'm not doing a video here today because my Internet's too slow to upload. But on the left hand side, that knob changes the the angle of the closing wheel kind of in and out. And if you if you adjust that angle so that it pulls the seed slot shut, you do not need much pressure. And that's why I say that our planters are still made today to pack the seed, pack the soil over the seed rather than just pull the slot close. And that's why we struggle sometimes to close the slot. Now, that needs to be extremely fine-tuned because you can go from one field to the next and you can go from not being able to close your slot to making ridges depending on the soil structure and depending on the root mass that's in there. So I've seen another company from uh, Spain make this a similar thing in Europe. I hope this comes over here because this is going to really help solve some of the challenges we have in closing some of the planting green uh, slots due to the root mass that we're dealing with. So we're winding up here. I have to talk about in-row fertility, specifically when we're planting corn into a green cover crop like cereal rye. Now, I want to be careful here to fully explain this. If we are planting corn into a predominantly legume like a hairy vetch or a crimson clover, this does not necessarily apply. But when we're talking planting corn into cereal rye, and to a certain degree annual ryegrass, let's just assume that there's no available N at the time of planting. Let's just assume that. Now, it doesn't mean there's zero N in the field. I'm just saying assume there's zero nitrogen for that little corn to come up. And that's why you want to use a starter fertilizer to boost that little seedling at that time. Now, a little perspective here. What I have found, and I think this uh, is anecdotal, a little hard to test. <clears throat> Again, you're just starting out into a system of moving toward more cover crops and less tillage and, and a good, healthier soil. This effect is not quite as noticeable and maybe not as important. But if you're just starting to use covers and you're just starting to try to use other soil health practices, you will need some nitrogen in that row, and then I will say also near the seed or in the soil profile so that corn can get started. Now, later on in July and August, depending when you control your cover crop, it may give some back to you. But this is not the place to start reducing fertilizer rates if you're going into a cover crop, a grass-type cover crop with corn. So this is, again, one of the big big misunderstandings that people have. And I'll just quickly note, and I have a whole uh, webinar on this about allelopathy. I feel that most of the time when you have an allelopathy problem, it's been misdiagnosed as simply not enough nitrogen at corn emergence. So I'll just leave it at that. Go back and listen to that webinar if you're interested in that. So finally, my 11th point here today is, uh, and this applies mainly to corn, overall season fertility management. In other words, as we look at the whole season for corn, you're going to have to think about keeping your nitrogen up front. 
<clears throat> more so at planting and then maybe an early side dress because that's when it needs it the most because the rye in this case has taken it up. Now it'll give it back to you over time, but not for a while. So again, if we're going to be planting green into legumes, you may not need any nitrogen at the beginning and maybe you can put the balance on at a side dress time. So uh, that's just understanding how this works. Of course, if you have a mix of legumes and grasses, uh, then you just have to kind of manage accordingly in, uh, in, in that dynamic and how that'll be. So uh, just wanted to uh, touch briefly on soybeans. I mentioned earlier, uh, <clears throat> this is a field ready to plant. This was rolled down cereal rye. <clears throat> Believe it or not, that's not too hard to plant into. The, seed, the, the stems are straight as long as your row cleaners don't wrap. <clears throat> probably wouldn't need them actually in this case or your closing wheels don't wrap not hard to do soybeans are very forgiving uh, they'll come up but I'll just mention here that you really do get some serious weed control when you're able to uh, get soybeans planted specifically uh, herbicide resistant weeds like mare's tail even uh, amaranth palmer amaranth and pigweed and stuff like that some people are saying that it really helps keep it back. So <clears throat> I just wanted to show you another picture here at the end of uh, I thought this was maybe a little bit too aggressive, but yes, there's soybeans in there. This was uh, no-till planted soybeans into four or five foot tall standing rye, not rolled down. I don't know. I think uh, I would like to have that rolled down at that point. But just wanted to show you that this is what some people are doing. And, uh, and I'm not recommending it, but uh, not, in other words, it was done out there. So uh, just wrapping it up, planting green, I believe, uh, can work if you properly manage it. It takes a lot of management with your uh, corn in particular. Uh, soybeans are fairly easy to do. So my last slide, I'm going to hang on here a little bit, I think. Uh, I've, I've used this slide several times. What I like about this slide is a rolled down cover crop, 15 inch corn planted, taken off for silage. I can still see my cover crop from the year before. It's still doing its job. It's still keeping the soil covered uh, and so forth. So um, with that, I'm going to open up the uh, everybody's microphone. So is um, any comments or questions? I don't know, Aaron, you're from Nebraska. We, I started out, I guess you'd say, being pretty hard on some farmers out there. It's your region. I don't know, Aaron, if you have any comments on that. We were talking about it before we come on. I wouldn't mind hearing them. Um, but anyone else have any comments or questions regarding uh, this planting green topic today? Well, I think uh, while you were talking, I went ahead and looked up where that accident actually occurred on I-80. Mm -hmm. And I looked at the crop field, and I drive I-80 a lot, a lot, considering I'm in the in Lincoln here on the east side, and I cover the whole state. Mm -hmm. um, I've driven by that field a lot, and it is under conventional tillage and a continuous wheat rotation mm -hmm. because it's a wheat research station. Oh, so um, you really hit a nail in in a sensitive spot. I'm sure <laughs> it'll be interesting to see how this all plays out because. Well. Every year they they grow that wheat up, they harvest it in the little test plots, and then they pull with tillage. I see. And so it's 
it's really poor soil right there and it is flat flat as a pancake mm -hmm. so that uh doesn't surprise me once i got looking at where that was at yeah yeah now that, that being said that's not a conventional farmer that's not a, a okay. typical situation not no-till in any way shape or form and right. um <clears throat> in a strange strange crop rotation so yeah yeah well good well thanks for taking now, there are other pictures there are other pictures online of other fields and i believe those were soybean fields or or fields so that wasn't the only field that blew mm -hmm. um and the recent dust storm closures that they had on monday mm -hmm. uh, were for other fields other than that one but where that big pile up occurred that's where okay. where that happens okay well thanks for the background information you you'd make a good investigative reporter there aaron <laughs> well. okay yeah thanks thanks anyway um other questions or comments from anybody well i guess i'll uh Go ahead, i'll Scott. jump in here then yep um well i would i i am um, i'd love to be able to do this type of stuff with farmers and i'm learning a lot from seeing this here so um i'm just kind of soaking in the information but i am trying it out in my own garden this year so okay and uh uh, you know, it's just a backyard garden, just a little one in my <clears throat> at my house. But because um, I had the cereal rye last year, mm -hmm. and um, I did kind of what you said, I planted seeds and I put in a little bit of liquid fertilizer with mm -hmm. some nitrogen just to be sure. And yeah. I have seen the first ones coming up. So okay, um, and um, I'll see what happens. Um, it's been it was really warm and now it's cooled off, so things mm -hmm. will be a little slower coming. But right. we'll see what happens with the rest of them. So yep. And definitely the transplanting is really nice because I can just cut back the cereal rye and sure. transplant uh, okay. the crops right into it. So, yeah. Okay, so it even works in garden scale. Well, you know, it's it, it's experimental. Sure. So, and uh, But I think the more I can get hands-on experience and learn more about mm -hmm. it, I, I, you know, definitely right. would love to get because yeah. it's the same like we haven't had the dust storms like what I've what you're talking yeah. about there but yeah. here in Alberta it's the same type of thing and it's a big uh, potato area okay and it just surprises me how much people just rely on uh or just they just mm -hmm. leave it and hope for the best and right. it's just I'd love to see a lot more work on it so well you know your your comment is well stated leave it and hope for the best I, I got to say that those days are over. Uh, that's the way I used to be. I would plow my fields and hope for the best. I didn't know that what I they, have to plow. They, what, I, what I hear comments on is they'll, um, they'll, um, they'll go in and rough it up right around like a frost time in the fall uh -huh. to give lumps on the surface, and yeah. that's, what they, that's their plan. Right. Uh, or spreading manure. Mm. And leaving it on the surface, but mm -hmm. you know, I, I know that that can't. Uh, like, I'm I'm from Ontario originally, and there's been nutrient management regulations for 20 yeah. years there. And I yeah. know that you know, just leaving manure on the surface and mm -hmm. planning on that holding back your soil is not mm -hmm. a good mm -hmm. plan to me. So, well, but, I, yeah, I see um, uh, Lauren is on. I don't know, Lauren, if you're available to comment, but I know you've been planting green. I'd love to hear. Some comments, additions, corrections, perspective, whatever you want to say here. Oh, I'm just waiting for it to get green around here. We just had snow last week yet. So. Ay, ay, ay. Yeah. Where, where are you? So, uh, yesterday, and there's still quite a bit of snow in the road ditches. Is that right? Well, yeah, yeah. Lauren Lauren is in, uh, I think it's correct to say, northeast Iowa, right, Lauren? 
But I, I will I will argue the manure application on top. If you've got a good, healthy soil and a cover crop established, I prefer seeing it just broadcast and let it self-incorporate. Yeah, and uh, to your to your you brought that up, Scott. I will just say, coming from the Chesapeake Bay watershed, that was a big controversy in the '90s when uh, I'll just say we were being encouraged, uh, incentive no, not incentivized. We were being told we have to incorporate manure. And uh, I gotta, I gotta tell you, because of a, some cooperation among university and among government, uh, finally got it. Uh, what should I say? It was, it was accepted practice that we could spread manure on a growing cover crop with at least 30% residue there, something like that. And that has pretty much been, uh, I think I could say, is the standard now. The key is having something living in the soil, and as Lauren mentioned too, having a healthy soil is also a part of that factor yeah. too. So, so yeah. Do you have any other perspective, Lauren, on uh, planting green? Anything that uh, you want to add that I maybe uh, should have covered? Uh, I think you you hit the bases. I mean, you got to remember, I'm in Northeast Iowa. We're lucky to get it. We're in that 68 inch category unless we cheat. So right, right. Um, so, so, John, John, I see you're still on here. John, do you have any comments? John's uh, here in southern Pennsylvania, northern Maryland farms. Uh, any comments, John? Anything uh, you want to comment on? Or I'm, all, I'm all for planting green. I've planted green since the 80s. Mm -hmm. uh, that's when I would spray with my planter. Mm -hmm. So, uh, hey, the cover crop did not get touched until the planter went through. Mm. And it worked then, uh, and I wasn't rolling it at that time, but I didn't like it to get so big. Now I don't care how tall it gets. With a roller crimper on a couple mm -hmm. planters and a roller crimper ahead of a tractor for a bean planter, mm -hmm. uh, roll that in the direction you're planting, and we have good success of getting that seed in the ground. Any other tips that uh, maybe I missed that would be helpful to know? I, I know you roll ahead lots of times. Mm -hmm. And I think I know that works very well for you. Mm -hmm. The only problem I would have with that is knowing exactly the width I would have for right. headland roads and so forth mm -hmm. to prevent, as you pointed out in your presentation today, you don't want to be planting across <laughs> the cover crop yeah. the way it's rolled. That just does not work. Even yeah. with row cleaners yeah. on a bean planter, yep. it will not separate. Yep. Oh, can't be emphasized enough. I mean, just to answer your question, because of GPS, I can pretty much do it, John. Uh, but you got to really okay. pay attention. You got to pay attention. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Jen, anything from Delaware? Uh, uh, some planting green there. What's any comments from Delaware? Yeah. Um, and I think one of the when we were talking about planting green and. Um, using uh, manure. I mean, we use a lot of poultry litter and that's, there's always kind of a tension um, with that in this area, you know, like Maryland just mm -hmm. uh, lifted um, their requirement that said that you had to incorporate poultry litter and in Delaware, it's just strongly encouraged. I so um, yeah, but um, and I think in Maryland, it's if you use continuous no-till, so it's not really a lift uh, for everybody. Right. Um, but we do have an increasing interest in, in planting green. There's a, a lot of people that I know that are trying it. 
So. Well, I, I my my comment, knowing your tends to be sandy soils, is you really going to have to monitor the moisture management unless you have backup irrigation. Would you agree? Uh, yeah, and in Sussex County, we have a lot of irrigation, so that's that's a good point there. Mm-hmm. Yep. Good. So I see David Kleinschmidt's on. David, I don't know if uh, you have a microphone or not. I haven't heard from you yet today. Any comments you have? If you can turn your mic on. Yeah, go ahead. Yeah, really, I mean, uh, there's not a whole lot of planting green here. Uh, I'm trying to learn more mm-hmm. about it here in the south central part of Illinois. Yep. Um, one farmer I work with, he is planting green last year. We just started, and, and it was it was amazing. It was like, uh, you know, the planter went in the ground a lot easier and everything. Oh, yeah? Uh, to that, though, there are guys that, you know, um, I, I think have planted, like, particularly uh, cereal rye, way too thick. Mm-hmm. Um, it got dry on us last year and, and had really tough issues getting the planters into the ground. Yep. Um, so it's definitely always watching the weather and, and monitoring what we need to do at that time. Yeah. Uh, and probably even going into uh, looking at more into, like, the downforce uh, yep. systems on planters, too, yep. to help, help That's with correct. that. So, well, hey, thanks for bringing that up about downforce. I will say this, that uh, I would strongly recommend, and it's pretty much the standard now, going with hydraulic or air downforce. That does help a lot in, in running into some challenges. I would just say, David, uh, when you're in good soils like you are, you might, I don't know what planting rates you've been used to, but you may go down to as low as 20 pounds per acre of cereal rye if you can plant in October. If you're into November, then you might want to bump it up to a bushel or something. But, uh, yeah, that's a common problem of too, too much too high of a seeding rate is will, will bring you problems, especially if you're not prepared for them. So I'm glad you brought up that point. Yeah, and we've been doing that. It's moderating our uh, our seeding rates based on our planting dates too. Uh, uh-huh. Yeah. And putting, putting more of the legumes in there as well, especially going to corn. And I'm in an area right now that's uh, doesn't really drain real well, a lot of heavier clay. Yeah. Um, and they're treating the soils. I mean, the vertical tillage tools are running around, and, and we're praying for a rain. And you dig down six inches, and there's plenty of moisture down there. But huh. you know, we're, we're a lot of farmers become their own worst enemies with the, the equipment that they're buying. It seems like. Well, you're you're talking to the choir here, I believe. But uh, it, 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 if nothing else, David, it'll give you you got backups here if you ever need uh, need any help. But that you're you're exactly right. It's a it's it's a it's a challenge sometimes to help people understand how soil functions and so forth. So I appreciate your uh, perspective there. It's really good. Anything, Ruth, from you in uh, in Indiana? Any comments for where you're at? Well, I I think that we could farmers have been planting green you know, on and off over the last couple of years. Yeah. And I think that, you know, but it's getting like spread. So past the fire where our neighbor was, um, had the spray rig right in front of the planter. Okay. So, um, so it, it's happening here. Um, you know, we had the big issue with slurs last year. Yeah. And, you know, that could be on our, our horizon. So I'm yeah. hoping 
um, that we do turn off the 75 to 80 and the cars on the yeah, a little hard to hear you there. Your parents a little bit warbled, but uh, thanks for that. I, I did hear the word slugs, uh, so I'll just say that we have a couple topics on slugs. If you want to go back and look at them, they're there uh, to see. We're about out of time here, but is there any cover crop question at all that anybody wants to ask here to, uh, to wrap this up? Anyone? Question, Steve. Yeah, John. Volunteer cover crops. Okay. Like shepherd's purse. Or purple dead nettle, things like that, good or bad to have? Well, it's interesting, it's interesting, John, how you describe that volunteer cover crops. Some of us would say weeds, (laughs) but uh, I appreciate your uh, attitude there on that. Uh, That's right. I'm with you. I like that. That's clever. I might have to use that sometime. Well, I I guess I always say, and you just alluded to it, I, I think this is pretty much true. Anything growing is better than nothing. So when, when you have some of these, uh, we'll, we'll just say misplaced plant species for what we think we know to manage well, you know, part of the reason, I'll just maybe circle back around a little bit here. Part of the reason why a certain species have risen to the top is because they do so much for us. So what we, what we typically call weeds they just doesn't they just don't do at least we don't understand that they're doing a lot for us but even henbit and chickweed my goodness they're a tremendous root thatch that's in there that got to be good for something so i don't generally worry too much about some weeds uh growing uh in a field try not to let them go to seed and get mature you know, so that they proliferate because I want to try to focus my plant species on the ones that I think are doing the best for me. So I guess my short answer is anything's better than nothing, but if we can try to strategically grow the best species to be able to be in sync with what our soil needs and what we're trying to accomplish, that's the goal. So I don't know if I answered your question or not, John, but uh, <laughs> that's my, my response. Do you have a follow-up? Thank you for your perspective. Okay. I I might challenge chickweed. I've had some cut, uh, black cut worm problems oh. years ago. Right. Chickweed seems to harm the moths. Yep, yep, that's but, true. Uh, yeah. Yeah, now I but, hear you. Shepherd's uh, purse or Virginia pepperweed, whatever you want to call it, okay. I hey, that rolls nicely. <laughs> when you roll that down, it stays down. Gotcha. Yeah. Well, I can appreciate your uh, your perspective and your attitude there, John. That's that's really good. I I do share that as well, you know. And I think sometimes we just got to step back a little bit in our perspective of agriculture. And when we start thinking about the soil, it changes the way we think. And I think you just gave a good example of that. Well, okay. Well, thanks for your uh, time today. I appreciate everyone who joined and appreciate your support. Uh, we'll see you on Facebook. Um, or wherever here in the week ahead and uh, happy and safe planning to all and we'll see you uh, uh, next week thanks Steve yep.